Yo, what's up? And welcome to episode 108 of Throwback Hoops. My name is Rob Clayton, and joining me as always is my co-host, Woody V. How you doing, mate? Good, man. It's been a good week. The Kings just snuck through there, so pretty happy, man. Pretty happy. I don't know if I was as happy as that with the Kings making it, but anyway, I'm glad your, your team made it. Um, well, Woods, I'm extremely excited to introduce this guest today. So um, you both might want to get comfortable here because we might be here for a while. So as I mentioned, really excited to introduce this special guest. This man is a legend of Australian basketball, playing 526 games over 17 seasons for his hometown Adelaide 36ers between 1992 and 2009. In this time, he was a three-time champion in 98, 99, and 2002. He was a two-time finals MVP, a four-time NBL All-Star. He was a seven-time All-NBL team player, and he also played over 100 games with the Australian Boomers, including playing in the 96, 2000, and 2004 Olympic Games. Um, he also played in the FIBA World Championship and the Goodwill Games. His famous number, number five jersey hangs in the rafters, and he even has his signature on the 36ers home court. It's a huge throwback hoops welcome to the one and only Brett Ma. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Brett. I didn't miss anything there, did I? Feel free to uh, let me know if I did. Pretty close to the mark. <laughs> Nice. Well, really appreciate you joining us, mate. Um, as we mentioned, we're sort of really looking forward to asking you a few questions about your career and then a couple of things at the end about the, the current uh, state of the league. So as I also mentioned, Brett, um, Woody and I are a huge jersey collector. So we always start off our episode just um, showing a couple of jerseys there. So I'll start with you, Woods. I know it's a bit of an Adelaide theme today. So who sure. you got for us today? All right, just stand up. All right, so we've got the famous Thanks, number 13. None other than Darnell Me. And uh, we had uh, Adam Ballinger on the show not too long ago, and I asked him what his experiences were playing alongside Darnell Me, and he, he had some great answers. So instead of going through all his accolades, Brad, I might as well throw over to you and uh, give us a little bit of insights into what it was like uh, getting to know and uh, play alongside the great man. Yeah, it was fantastic. He only, we just had a reunion not that long ago, and he flew over from the States and got to catch up with Darnell. And, uh, yeah, he was certainly... Uh, in my top three all-time players to play with, he, he was he did whatever needed to be done to win a game, and um, yeah, it's, it was a great teammate and um, was a real winner. Yeah, when you talk about some of the greatest defensive players to to play in this league, right? Uh, Darnell Mee's got to be right up there. Yeah, I think him, Damien Martin. Yep. Uh, I think Shay Illy's creating for uh, sure. this little niche there for himself as well. There's been some good ones, but he sticks right out, especially. Um, in our championship wins uh, in 98, 99, he, um, I think, changed the game for us, uh, especially in the first one. They were looking everywhere to see where he was because he was blocking shots, stealing balls, and he could turn a game at the defensive end. And there's not a, a lot of players that can do that, but he was certainly one of them. And it was kind of a thrill for me to be able to train with him so regularly, and it made me a better player for sure. What's he up to these days, Brad? Um, he's coaching uh, his old high school. So he's, he's oh, back um, where he grew up and, and coaching high school ball, which he said comes with its own challenges. But um, <laughs> he's really enjoying that. He, he enjoys coaching. And I don't think he'd write off uh, coming out here if he got an opportunity to coach out here in some capacity as well. And also did you know wear the Boomers jersey for a short while as well, didn't he? 
Yeah, he did. He yeah, did. Yeah. And had some great Americans that have naturalised and, and been able to play for the country. And yeah, it was good to see him have a little uh, have a little crack at it. Yeah, that number eight seed Denver Nuggets team that beat the Sonics in five, right? Darnell Lee was actually part of that team, and there was quite a few injuries, and he had a bit of a role to play in that uh, uh, upset victory uh, in in the nineties, if, if you recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, he did. He, yeah. he had um, some good games there with Denver, and I guess that's where he forged a great relationship with Kevin yep. Brooks, who for sure um, filled that other import spot for us uh, in those winning years, and. Um, yeah, they had uh, a really great relationship together, which uh, which certainly helped. It's always hard to get one really good import, let alone get two like that that we had. And, uh, yeah, that made it such a special time. Yeah, awesome. Good to see he's doing well. And not only do they just wear the jersey today, uh, a good friend of the show uh, wrote a certain book, and I've just been reading it all week. So I thought I'd give it a plug to all our, to all our audience. I got marvelous right here, 2008, I think, Brett, if I'm not mistaken, and a uh, good friend, Buddy, wrote this book. So have a have a read of it, read of it if you haven't. You'd be able to find one on Amazon or eBay, and maybe uh, you can give us some background as to how that started with Buddy and, and getting that book uh, written. You know, if you're having trouble sleeping, it's a really good one to get. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't got past the first uh, the first chapter yet, but. No, it's uh, it's a good read, and as much of my story, it's as, it's probably just as much a, um, a bit of a write up on the thirty sixes history yep. for kind of the twenty years that I was involved, and gives uh, he's so he's so good at putting all of that together and and putting in all the statistics. He obviously covered the thirty sixes over that whole period yep. um, with the paper here, and um, his knowledge uh, is second to none. Uh, for sure. On Adelaide basketball, but also over the whole NBL, he's he's very good. And um, yeah, it was a it was a long process to write the book. Can imagine things <laughs> and going over things, but it was also a really rewarding one because it, you brought up a lot of memories and things you kind of forgot about. But he had kind of all written down in his in his notes, and um, yeah, it was a good experience. Awesome. Yeah. Got a great sense of humour as well, doesn't he, uh, Body? He's always, it's a um, real dry sense of humour. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. Which I yeah. like. Um, but, yeah, I kind of get his humour. Some people don't, and, and he does have some people that don't <laughs> kind of like his writing and that. But, uh, yeah, I think his heart has always been in the right place. He he is honest uh, and just tells it how he sees it, and some people don't agree with that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think he's he's been fantastic for the game to give his opinion over so many years. Nice, well said. Well, appreciate that jersey and the, the little book showing as well there, Woods. Um, so look, I've got a couple of jerseys to show. So maybe I'll just talk about the one that's hanging behind me there, Brett. So um, look, he was one of my favourite players growing up, and I'm speaking about Al Green there, of course. So another absolute legend of the '36s. Um, I'm assuming you probably know Al pretty well over the years. Um, what were your sort of thoughts on him? Yeah, I know Al really well. I saw him last night at the last 36 <laughs> time and uh, caught up. We ran some camps together for quite a while as well. And, um, yeah, what he uh, brought to the table, like that game we had 71-odd points or whatever, yeah. um, amazing point scorer, um, ball handler, distributor. Um, I enjoyed watching. I went along when I was growing up to Apollo Stadium here in Adelaide and, Love watching our play. Um, I, I like the trash talk, that he, the element that he brought to the game there, but also just his athleticism and what he could do with the ball was uh, was pretty spectacular. We hadn't 
at that stage when he come out, seen many players with, with his skill set. And, uh, yeah, he was exciting to watch. And, and not only on the basketball court, what he was able to do off the court to win uh, back-to-back Bay Sheffields here in Adelaide. He was a sensational runner and athlete. Um, so, yeah, some of the stuff he accomplished. He was, a, I think, a wide receiver in in, uh, in college or high school. I see that, yeah. And did a very good job in multiple sports. So, yeah, he was... Uh, um, yeah, I think a great addition for the 36ers through the 80s and, um, yeah, certainly played a massive part in that 86 championship and, and also uh, in the West Adelaide championship when he was playing with guys like Leroy Loggins and um, some other spectacular players. He could probably still put the ball in the basket, let's face it. It wouldn't surprise me if he could still still knock down some shots even at his, his advanced age there. So he, He's still in amazing shape. But like, yeah. I see him and I see Mark Davis around. Oh, yeah. I'm like, they, those guys don't look too much older than when they're playing. So, um, yeah, it's uh, um, yeah, it's good to catch up with them. They've always got good stories. And, um, yeah, he can, uh, he can certainly uh, held his own on the basketball court, that's for sure. Nice. All right, well, I'll just quickly stand up and show you the one that I'm, I'm rocking there today. So for all our audio listeners who can't see, it's no surprise which jersey Robbie is wearing today. It's a Brett Maher jersey. What year is that from, Robbie? I think this is a heritage one they brought out. Ooh, I don't even know, actually. I'd say it's maybe 10 years ago. Brett, I don't know if that... Yeah, I'm trying to, from the actual logo, work it out. Um, I can't... The, the actual logo looks like it might have been from like the 80s, um, mm. one of the ones that they wore then. Yeah. Um, but then with Unleashed Solar and some of the other sponsors, yeah, I would have thought it would be early 2000s sort of era. Sure. One thing I'm always interested in, um, Brett, is just how people eventually choose their jersey numbers. So obviously number five synonymous with your name there. What um, brought you on to, to wearing that jersey all those years ago? Um, yeah, it's a, nothing spectacular. When I was okay. young, the first number I had was number five, and I was so lucky all the way through um, making, when I played for South Adelaide and then Sturt and then state teams, number five was available. So I was able to just continue wearing it. Uh, when I came into the 36s, uh, it was available there. And uh, luckily, when I made the Australian team, it was available. So just mm-hmm. kind of right the way through the progression, um, I was very lucky not to have to change it and um, just keep that number right the way through. There was no specific reason, but I guess I just became aligned with it and, and stuck with it. It's not the most common number either, is it? I was thinking that today. I'm a huge Josh Smith fan from back in the day with the Atlanta Hawks, and he wore the number five. But I, don't, I can't recall a lot of number fives over the, over the years, but... Yeah, I, I, and that's it. I didn't pick it after any other player, which mm. a, a lot of guys do, obviously, with your 23s yeah. and that sort of number. But, um, yeah, I just like the number and, yeah, was lucky enough to keep it. Nice. Good stuff. Well, appreciate that, Brett. Um, thanks as well, Woody, for, for showing that nice jersey there. So well, let's get into it, um, into this interview with Brett then. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, and, Brett, something we always, I guess, like to ask our guests to start things off um, is how you discovered your love for the game and, and who were your early influences getting into basketball? Yeah, um, I started with some mates at, at school first. They got me into it and I loved it and then decided to go to the next level and play uh, junior um, club basketball, and, and that was uh, a good experience. I, I felt like I was progressing well, had some really good junior coaches, um, which I think is important and helps kind of frame uh, 
uh, where you go. Um, Neil Burford uh, I had in uh, under-14s at Sturt was a very good coach. And then Neil Glidden, who uh, is synom- synonymous with Junior Barsville over the last, I don't know how long, 40-plus years, um, was also a really big influence on me here in Adelaide. Um, I had Frank Arcego as uh, a state coach for a couple of those years as well, who I really enjoyed playing under. And um, when I went to the Institute at 15, I, I was so lucky to get Patrick Hunt for three years. And um, I think uh, he's an exceptional developer of, of talent. Uh, and then we had some good assistant coaches like Gordy McLeod and Brett Flanagan and those sort of guys while I was at the Institute. And in those developing years, I think they really kind of set a really good base mark for me to, to go into the professional leagues. Um, and then we went through quite a, a lot of uh, coaches in Adelaide. Obviously, <laughs> Phil Smythe is one of my favourite ones. Um, Mike Dunlap, I think, taught me a lot of things uh, when he came out here, especially at the defensive end. Uh, not that I was known for defence, that's for sure, but um, some of the things that he implemented for me as a young player was good. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed playing under Phil. I loved his style and the way he managed the players and, and got the best out of them. Um, on the Australian team, um, I guess uh, I played under uh, Brian Gorge at my last Olympics and Barry Barnes for the first two. And um, as far as coaching styles and that, I, I really enjoyed playing under Brian. Um, I thought um, I'd played against him for so long and in those all those finals and all that. And um, I'd only seen that side of him, but to play for him, it really opened my eyes. He gave me a very good opportunity in that 04 Olympics. And... Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the way he coached as well. So there was a few people along that line that I think played some big parts in it. Definitely a few blasts from the past there. So, yeah, good to hear some yeah. of those names. Yeah. I guess when we're growing up as kids, Brett, um, we, we take to a lot of sports here in Australia. Was it just basketball for you um, that, that you, you played when you were growing up? Or was there anything else you took interest in, footy or cricket or uh, anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, I played a little bit of footy uh, and uh, basketball, unfortunately, is so dominating. I reckon by the time I was in under 12s, the coaches were saying, you've got to decide if you want to just play basketball or do other sports. So then I just stuck to basketball. But I played a bit of squash and tennis as well when I was growing up and and the footy. But yeah, basketball was always my passion. And um, the NBA was kind of just coming on the screens then and I kind of fell in love with watching Magic Johnson, the Lakers, and so he (laughs) became a bit of an idol for me. And then with the 36s, I like going to watch the shooters more than anything, probably Daryl Pearce and those sort of guys. And on the Australian team, um, I enjoyed watching Phil Smythe as a a guard and, uh, and of course, Andrew Gaze as I was growing up as well as, as some dominant players. So, Brett, you were obviously staying up those Friday nights watching those ABC NBA games yeah. in the 80s as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> and I guess in those days you're either Lakers or Celtics. And, mm. uh, yeah, I just love the run-and-gun style of the Lakers, so they, that kind of converted me. Well, let's maybe go back to 89 when you when you took up that scholarship at the AIS. You were just speaking of that earlier. Um, you were there, I think, between 89 and 91, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how's this experience for you? We often hear the way things are there, um, don't always suit everyone that attends. Um, were some of your, who were some of your teammates during that time as well at, at the AIS, if you don't mind? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think as far as 
well, living away from home at the age of 15, you grow up pretty quickly. Um, I was surrounded by some guys that are a bit older than me. So I think I probably matured a little bit quicker as well. Um, I played with, uh, I guess, in my first few years, um, some guys that went on to NBL, Tony Ronaldson, uh, Andrew Goodwin, uh, Lockie Armfield, um, Matt Reese. Uh, David there? Close around that time, was it? David Close there? Yeah, David yeah. Close. Yeah. Very, very good player. Vader, yeah. Yeah, he one of the best shooters uh, <laughs> uh, I've seen, especially catch and shoot. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Legasic. Uh, yeah, there was some really good talent, especially in those first couple of years. Um, and a lot of those guys went on and, and did some good things and played for Australia as well. So um, I, I enjoyed the fact that um, we had to go to school, but with such a focus on basketball, it, it taught me how to lift weights properly, how to look after my body and, and do the recovery stuff and, and really rounded me, uh, I think, as an athlete a lot probably earlier than some other guys coming into the league that sure. didn't have that sort of exposure. What was that like being away from home at that age, Brett? Because obviously you mentioned like fifteen or so. That's that's pretty early to sort of leave the leave the home and leave the family and everything. How was how was that part of it? Yeah, it was a little bit tough early. Um, I was uh, let's just say mum and dad look after me very well, <laughs> um, so it was a big change to to leave the house and and kind of fend for yourself a little bit. Although they do look after you pretty well uh, at the institute. You get all your meals and. Uh, you just have to really do your washing and make sure you you go where you're supposed to on time. But um, I think even from a, a schooling perspective, having to come home and study and, and do all that, uh, it was a, a big learning curve. But playing against men at such an early age in, in that Siebel competition at the time, I think kind of helped uh, elevate my game as well. There were some excellent players um playing around the league, uh, the Deliver Dovers and Alphonse Hammond and, and players like that that were uh, exceptionally good that uh, I got to play against on a weekly basis. So that helped as well. Good stuff. So if I'm not mistaken there, you were considering attending college in the US, is that right? Um, I believe you were maybe recruited by legendary Arizona Wildcats coach um, Lute Olsen there. Um, how close was that to eventuating? Was that something you wanted to do or were you just happy to sort of be a pro in your home city there? Um, yeah, I did uh, get kind of courted by them for a while. Um, I was getting mail every day and I was kind of seriously considering it. That was kind of um, at a stage. I, I then ended up uh, doing my right cruciate and uh, that took me out of the game for about six months and they then wanted to see me play. Um, I scraped, I guess, scraped into the world junior team Um at the time and was coming off the bench. And after that, they kind of came to me and said, look, we think we can get someone of your level back in the States because I was coming off the bench and not playing that much. So I kind of agreed and they ended up going on and, and picking three or four guys that went to the NBA. So I think oh. they picked some pretty decent players instead of me. So that was all right. And um, it kind of made my mind up between going over there or coming back and playing for Adelaide and, I guess it worked out in the end, but I guess when you look back as well, you go, oh, might have been a pretty cool experience to go over there and uh, and see what college life was like. 
Absolutely. Well, let's sort of take it back to those early years as well. So obviously you finished at the AIS, um, you joined your hometown 36s at the, the young age of 19 there. Um, how big a thrill was this for you? And what was that very first rookie season like for you there? Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good year. I uh, had Don Shipway as coach and um, he had, uh, I guess, come in under Ken Cole and then was given the role as head coach and um, yeah, we had a pretty tumultuous year. I think we just missed the playoffs, um, but he gave me a good opportunity and gave me some court time. And uh, yeah, I I was very nervous because it was a team that I had grown up from five or six years old watching yep. and going to games and seeing heroes and then getting to play with some of those guys uh, like Mark Davis, etc. Um, it was very nerve wracking, especially early, but they welcomed me in and, and taught me the ropes. And um, I think I kind of came around fairly quickly. Who were the other guards on that, that team there in your rookie season? Uh, was, was Butch Hayes there that time? Was yeah, that maybe a year or something? Yeah, after? sorry. Yeah, I should have remembered that. Okay, Butch, yeah. um, I was very lucky to play in a Butch in my oh, first yeah. year. He, he's such a, well, A, a very good person and a, and a nice bloke, but a really good player to learn from. He's a... He's a Good ball handler, good distributor, um, could get to the bucket and score, and and I got to play against him every day. Uh, so that was pretty good in my first year. And then uh, the club went and got Phil Smythe back, and I got to play with and alongside um, Phil and and then Rick Brunson I played with as well in those early yeah. years, who went on to play 10-plus years in their coaching, and his son's killing it. Killing it, killing it, yeah. So I had some really good players around me in those first couple of years, especially guards that, um, yeah, really helped my development. Well, you speak... Butch Hayes is one of those names I think gets forgotten about a little bit, yep. doesn't he? But, yeah, he's someone that I loved watching play, you know, growing up. Yeah, um, and I think everyone remembers him pulling, like, had his socks that yeah. pulled blood up to his knees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He kind of looked like Steve Urkel a little bit sometimes, <laughs> uh, just in some of his way he talked and movements. But um, yeah, he was uh, he was a great player to play with. Well, when you speak about those early days, um, it was also a great era for guards, not just guards, point guards. At the time, there was like Ricky Grays, Derek Rucker, Shane Hill. You mentioned your yeah, Phil Smythe, um, and then a little bit later, guys like Dmac. Who were some of the toughest guys that you went against? Um, and, and did you feel like you had any, any personal rivalries at, at your position, you know, th throughout your, your career, right? I uh, definitely had some rivalries. Um, I, I think there was the obvious one with myself and Shane Hill because yep. we were always battling for a similar spot in the Australian team. So yep. um, he kind of had a bit of a leg up on me there and, and played well internationally, but when we played domestically in the NBL, I always, uh, I don't know if I lifted my game a little bit, but I certainly wanted to win cool. that game um, because I am competitive, um, as my kids know. Uh, but, um, yeah, he was one of the ones that I look forward to playing against. But, um, like, if I go back now and, and I rate players, I rate Ricky Grace as one of the all-time best, probably top three players ever. And... I was lucky enough to play with him um, on the Australian team and yep. um, we were both coming off the bench and a lot of times after trainings we would stick around and play one-on-one -on -one against each other and I'd always guarded him when we played Perth but he just gave me a, um, even more um, acknowledgement of his skill level when I had to match up with him day after day and try and stop him. He had such a quick first step and 
at that stage, I know early in his career he wasn't the best three-point shooter, but at that stage he was knocking it down left, right, yep. center. So. Top of the key, right? He was really dangerous yeah, up there. And, uh, yeah. and just as far as putting the ball on a platter for other people, he was one of the best. Like He pretty much gave Paul Rogers his MVP in the league when, when he won. Like him driving the bucket, Rogie going to the basket and finishing off. Um, they were a good combination. But, yeah, he was tough. Um, I think, yeah, Derek Rucker, when he came out especially, was spectacular yep. and played against him in that 2 grand final series that we won. And, and he was one of the few that, like me, had a very big jump in his jump shot. Um, a lot of players have a more economical style, but him and myself have a really big jump in our shots and, um, yeah, really respected his game style. But uh, also got to play D-Mac on the Australian team as well and got to watch him play and see how players go about their business. And um, when they beat us in the 94 championship and he also beat us... <laughs> Uh, on the buzzer a couple of years around that as well, um, hitting a couple of shots over me. Uh, he uh, he is, I think, one of the most fun players to have watched in the NBL. And as a fan, I would have paid money to go watch him uh, just because he, he had that New York style with the ball that was fun to watch. And yep. uh, and he was one of the guys that improved his three-point shot over time mm -hmm. as well because um, – uh, he wasn't that good at it when he first came out, but became pretty pretty steady with it by the end. And you mentioned those guys, you know, they they came here all those years back, and now you know the likes of Ricky Grace in Perth and Derek Rucker in Brisbane, and you know D Mac. Um, he's well, he's obviously spent a lot of time in Melbourne, but working with Brisbane at the moment. But they're giving back to the game. They've set up lives here in Australia, just like many imports have. So it's good to see that they've stuck around all this time. And and uh, you mentioned a few others early, Al Green, etc. I think Butchase is still here, right? So. Yeah. Exactly. And I think yeah. that's the difference, I guess, between our era and like the current era. Um, the players are a lot more mercenary these days, just chase the money and there's not a lot of loyalty. Well, players argue from the club side as well, but definitely from the players, they chase the money. And we were lucky through that time that a lot of the clubs were able to keep the same imports and the fans could identify with them. And yep. you look here in Adelaide, we had Al Green, we had Mark Davis over such a long period of time. Um, you look in Perth and they were able to keep Ricky and James Crawford and those sort of guys. And you could go around all of those teams and they, those players stuck, whereas now the imports just pretty much get changed over um, nearly every year. And I think that's probably a, an area why Perth's done so well is they're able to somehow hang on to like your Bryce Cottons and those superstar players, whereas some of the other clubs haven't done as well in that area. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, well, maybe we talk quickly about some of the best times you had, those three championships. I mean, that was a stacked team. Uh, you had those back-to-back -back runs. You had the uh, Aussie, Aussie big Paul Rees you just mentioned, the Catman, Martin Catalini, as well the import duo, Don Elmi, Kevin Brooks we just spoke about, and there were key, key reserves on that team, Rupert Sapwell, Chairman of the board, so obviously Mark Davis, uh, David Stiff, I think, and Scott Ninnis, Ninnis as well. Um, what were those? Uh, what was with those teams that clicked so well? And um, what did that first title actually mean to you personally, Brett? I meant a lot. I mean, for Adelaide, we hadn't won a championship since 1986. Uh, we came close in '94, as I said, and got beaten by North Melbourne. So there was a lot riding on it. Uh, we came up against a very, very talented team that was uh, highly picked to win uh, that year. Um, that was the Magic, coached by Brian Gorgian. And yep. they had 
they had a spectacular list uh, as well. Uh, and at the time, um, like everyone was picking them to win, and for us to sweep them was a big surprise. I think it was a bit of a surprise for us even. Um, and at the time, you don't realise the talent of what you had on the team. We knew we had a, a good team, but you look back at the end of all of those players' careers and you go, wow, um, the talent we had, like John Rilly as well in, in that mix. Got to mention, yeah. Did some spectacular stuff. But we had um, a lot of really good role players in that team and a lot of guys that could, could score and um, we had good uh, defensive rules because we had a lot of guys, uh, myself, Martin Catalini, Kevin Brook, quite a few guys that weren't known for their defense, but as a team collectively played well. Um, so to win that one and then back it up the next year against um, uh, another Melbourne team, coached by Brian, was uh, was pretty yep. good. And uh, that was a little bit harder Um having to win it in three and win it at home um, after winning the first one away, I think. Um, yep. it, it made us really work for it. But, um, yeah, that was pretty nice to win one at home as well, um, to win that back-to-back. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, sorry, Robbie, go, go ahead. No, I was going to ask Brett if he was dirty that Kevin Brooks got the, the third of those finals MVPs. He you know, didn't let you have the clean sweep there. <laughs> no, he deserved it. He uh, he won it in the in the first one in '98, and yeah. uh, he played especially in that uh, second game over there. Uh, he was unstoppable. Uh, you see some guys playing really good defense on him, like Tony Ronaldson, etc. And he was was unstoppable. Um, so yeah, he was a, a real standout in that series. But um, yeah, probably one of my favorite ones is the O2 Championship, where I think. We say that we stole it, really. We didn't have the best team, but once again, we had uh, myself and Willie, who I guess were the main scorers in that team, but had um, some guys that played their roles to perfection. Yeah, your Rupert Sapwells, David Stiff, Paul Rees, um, those sort of guys uh, were the the hidden um, champions in that team, I guess. Uh, Like Rupert Sapwell came out and had 18 points in the first quarter of that. Um, in that uh, deciding game and just efforts like that are the things that win championships. So, um, yeah, it was uh, yeah pretty special times, those three championships. I can imagine, Brett. And look, myself and Robbie, we're both very patriotic Boomers fans and it meant so much to us seeing how loyal and dedicated you were to the to the Boomers program. Um, what did it mean to you putting on the Boomers jersey and looking back on it now, those experiences and those memories, um, what stuck with you, out, stuck out for you most, but, but good and bad, let's say. Yeah, um, yeah I think uh, for me growing up uh, in that era, it was more representing your country was the highest and best thing you could do rather than going to the NBA, which I think yep. a lot of the younger guys might say is kind of their optimal goal. Um, for me, it was always representing Australia. So when I got that opportunity, it was very special um, to make uh, the first time you get told you're going to Olympics, I think, uh, is really special. And um, you're getting to go to uh, a few of them was was really good. I, I guess on, on the downside, I would have liked to have probably get, been given a little bit more of an opportunity in those first two. Um, we had a very good team. And when you finish fourth, you can't really say too much. I think we achieved probably as much as we could have with those teams finishing fourth. Um, the way we're playing, coming up against Lithuania in both of those um, 
deciding medal yep. games was a pretty tough ask. So a very, very good team. And, uh, yeah, they did. They played very well to beat us as well. So um, that was pretty special, getting to play off for a medal. Uh, and then you fast forward and you see the rose gold um, stuff and all the current players winning, finally breaking through and winning that medal. And um, everyone saw Andrew Gaze talking about it and breaking down a little bit on TV. And I, I think um, myself and a lot of the other players that went through a lot of that groundwork were in a similar position emotionally um, for what we'd probably given to that program. And um, there was probably a few tears going around in a, in yeah. a lot of living rooms when they finally did do it. And um, I think they've done a really good job in recent years of reconnecting with past players and um, and setting a really good culture up around that team now. Uh, good stuff, yeah. Like, love those old boomers teams back in the day. I'm still picturing, you know, the bear hitting that big shot. Um, oh, that was amazing. When he hit that <laughs> shot in the corner against uh, Croatia, mm. uh, yeah, the whole bench lifted or everyone lifted. It was, it was a, I think, one of the biggest shots in the history of Australian basketball. For sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, I can still picture it so vividly as well. It was a, it was a huge moment. Nice. Well, look, we mentioned at the start, you know, in that amazing intro that I did, obviously, there, Brett, um, about your number five hanging in the rafters. Um, we already spoke about one of the other guys in Al Green. Um, I wanted to ask you about the two other guys, though, whose jerseys are retired. So Mark Davis and Daryl Pierce. Um, I think Pierce might have retired the season before he started. So talk to us a little bit about those two legends, the chairman of the boards and the Iceman. Yeah, I'll start with the Iceman because I grew up kind of – Watching his game very closely, I love watching him shoot. Um, it was such an effortless shot, um, and he was such a good three-point shooter. Uh, he, uh, the year I came into the 36ers, the 36ers had decided to move him on. Um, a lot of people thought that I was replacing him, but I never thought of it as that. Um, uh, and it was a bit of a shame that I didn't get to play with him. I would have liked to have played uh, with him at least for a year. He went on and played for North Melbourne mm. and ended yep. up, he was in that 94 team that beat us. So he kind of got a little bit of sweet revenge, I think, for getting moved on. But I still see him. He comes over here occasionally and I get to catch up with him okay, uh, when he does. So um, that's really good. As far as Mark Davis, I think he revolutionised the power forward position. Um, he came out here and it was really weird yes. circumstances that he ended up playing for the 36ers. He was, um, Don Shipway had actually recruited him to play for South Adelaide, I think, via New Zealand. And he was playing exceptionally well in the local competition. They decided to bring him out and train with the 36ers and he just destroyed everyone. Uh, and ended up, they ended up sacking the guy that had the spot here at the time and put Mark in and he stayed there for 16 years or whatever. He he's played. still here as well, and right? Still, and he's still here, but just his style of game like that, 6'6", six, six, super muscly, super athletic. Um, it did change the game and then other teams started recruiting players along the similar lines. They brought out guys like Scott Fisher, um, uh, who else did they bring out? Melvin Thomas sort of guys in that same sort of mould as marker because um, they had to try and keep up. Nice. So one thing I like to do, Brett, I always do this with Woody. I like to put him on the spot and get him to sort of name lists and everything else like that. Got an easy one for you. I want to know who you think the three best imports were that you played with during your time with the 36ers. 
Well, Darnell's, Darnell's definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a real hard. I really enjoyed playing with Willie Farley as as yeah. another guard that we I won a champ. We won the championship with. Um, so as far as playing with guards and, and winning those two, the third one's a tough one. Um, that is a really tough one because there were some spectacular players. It's hard to go past people like Robert Rose um, who came and played here and yep. you just found yourself standing and watching his brilliance as he played. Um, but also, yeah, like your Butch Hayes, Mark Davis. Um, I didn't play with Al. Um Kevin yeah, Brooks, you mentioned earlier as well. He's going to be in the conversation, right? Yeah, yeah KB certainly comes <laughs> into that. So, yeah, yeah number three uh, is a real, real tough one. Who was your other import on that um, third championship team alongside Willie? Uh, we, bought him, we bought him Matt Garrison about halfway uh, through the oh, season. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for a lot of the season, we were just running with uh, Willie and then yeah, probably half to two thirds way through, Matt Garrison came in, and he mm. he'd won the championship with Illawarra. Uh, mm. I think that was the year before, and he was a, a really important piece of the puzzle. Probably, if you looked at it statistically, it wouldn't shine out, but we had quite a few young guys on that team, and he was um, a spectacular link between the younger guys and the older guys, and. He had a has a bit of um, ADD, so he always provided a lot of energy, yeah. um, and was just a great guy to have around the team. Yeah, Mark Davis had, had naturalized obviously by that time, so even though he, he was, he basically had the three imports. You could you could call it right when Garrison joined the squad, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah oh. Actually, I, don't, I think did Mark. I can't remember if Mark was in the O2 championship. I or think not. he'd already retired. He'd already retired. Yeah, he already retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had retired. Yeah. Um, yeah, but he. We got to play him as a naturalized player for a while, which was yeah, really yeah. Good. And I guess after retiring, right? I I heard or read. I've read somewhere you followed in your father's footsteps, right? You joined the South Australian Fire Services, and you had some other initiatives, like you had your own. Um, um, company that was taking kids on tours to watch sporting events and like NBA games and stuff. What's going on with all that now? If, if, if you don't mind me asking, you still you know taking part in those those things or? Yeah, I am. I am. I love it. Um, yeah, I, I am in the fire service. I've been in there about eight and a half years now. And yeah, my dad was in there for twenty twenty five years. Um, and so I kind of knew what I was getting in for. But uh, yeah, I have been. Kind of lucky. I don't put it down to luck. I think you you work for what you get um, to be able to play professional basketball for 18 years and then come into a profession that um, is very, very similar that I love and every day is different when I go to work at the fire service. And, um, yeah, serving the community has always been uh, a big part of my life as well. So that just made sense. And, and I went on a basketball tour when I was 13 to America and, had uh, one of the times of my life and still kind of write to some of the people that I met yep. over there. And uh, in 2000 and uh, about 13, I got involved and started doing tours over to America and, yeah, now have uh, my own company with Sam Woosnam called All World Tours that sends club and school teams over to America and, we set up games for them, send them to NBA games, uh, college experiences and, and going to college games. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it, I think for young kids to go over and have that opportunity to play against high schools and 
watch NBA games and, and get that American experience is, I think, a really good um, thing for them to do. And and especially for kids that are, are looking to potentially go over and, and play college basketball. And both those activities is giving back, you know, and, and doing some good for the community and, and, and helping others. So it's great that you've, you've found that, you know, uh, that drive to do something post, uh, post your playing day. So good stuff, Brett. Yeah, I find it hard to sit still, my wife says. So yeah. I like to be doing a few things and yeah. still, still kind of a fair bit involved with the 36s. Yep. And on game nights, I'm generally around uh, doing some things and, uh, uh, I run the uh, the clinics uh, during the school holiday periods and and school visits with the team, which I, I really enjoy doing that as well. And teaching young kids uh, the art of basketball is kind of firmly in my blood. Awesome. Well, Brad, before we sort of finish up and talk a little bit about the you know the, the current MBL, I'm very curious about the signature on the court, right? We see it every game. My daughter, who you met before the show, always comments, oh, you know, it's a signature on the court there. How did that all come about? Because that's not something it's, um, you see very often, right? I think it's the only way they can get rid of me. I, I always <laughs> say that as a bit of a joke. But, um, yeah, it was a, a really huge tribute, I guess, to my career that the club decided to do that. Um, at the time, the only one that well, the club and myself was aware of was Red Auerbach having his name on the court in, in mm. Boston. Um, it's become a little bit more prevalent now around Australia on different courts and, and internationally, but at the time it was very, very rare to have done. Um, they first actually just put my name all the way along the sideline with um, the years that I played, and it kind of looked like it. I died and it was in memory of sort of thing. And then they decided to change it to my signature. And then I guess one of the big moments right at the end of my career, we played New Zealand in that last season and I, I hit a three-pointer from where the signature is now. So that's where they kind of decided to put the signature on and the court and that's why that's it's cool. there on the court. Yeah. Um, but it, it is a big thrill to, to walk in and have it called the Brett Mark Court and yep. to see the signature on the court. It, um, it's always a big thrill. The ultimate honour. No, that's great. I actually hadn't realised that where they've placed that is where you hit that, that big three against the Brokers. So no, that's that's good. Uh, well, what I wanted to ask you there, Brett, a um, couple of questions about the league, as I mentioned. So maybe we'll start off with the 36ers. So, you know, they, they finished their season up yesterday at the time of recording it. So thanks for that, by the way. February, so. <laughs> thanks for that. You know, gave us a home game against the Breakers. So thanks, thanks to you guys. We did help you out there. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I wanted to ask you now, look, they ended with a 12 and 16 record in ninth place. I mean, Woody and I, we're probably not the best of predictions. We both tipped them to finish 10th, and I don't think we had them anywhere near 12 wins. And that's just being being honest. We'd made our tips at the start of the season. Um. Feels like it was a really greatly improved team after your good friend Scott Ninnis took over as head coach. So, how would you rate the team's performance this season overall? Yeah, I think it was a, a tale of two halves, really. There was the CJ half and then the Scott half. Um, obviously, it didn't go too well in that first half of the year. The team, I think, was probably performing at about 30, 35% of their capability. Um, they mentally weren't in the place that they needed to be. Um, the style of the game that they're playing was not really uh, attractive um, as far as I was concerned. And, uh, yeah, they just weren't – they just didn't look like they were clicking. Um, once Scott took over, I think he made a few pretty minor changes, but 
they they made a big impact. Um, I think defining their roles, um, kind of changing the court time of, of some of the players, I think made a big difference. And just the style of play, he he ended up working the ball through Isaac a lot. And I think everyone there wouldn't be too many people that argue that he was probably the centre of the league this year. Um, he had a spectacular season, and that also opened it up for guys like. Well, bringing DJ Vasilovic in uh, helped a lot having a scorer of his calibre. Um, and also, I think one of the players that really elevated under Scott was Trey Kell. For sure. Um, moving him to the point guard spot, a lot of people were a bit worried about, but he played point guard in college and, and had done that before. And I thought he kind of lifted his game uh, to another level. And and then some of your other guys started... Um, Lifting as well, Corin Galloway, I thought, yep. Scott getting more court time uh, has certainly raised his stocks a little bit as well. Definitely. Uh, and some of the other guys as well played really good cameo moments um, to lift. And Scott's record, eight and seven, um, I think, well, if he started the year and had an eight and seven, you expand that over the year, probably would have finished in fourth place um, with how close the league was. So... Um, I know they're having conversations this week, I believe, after um, they get back from the awards dinner tonight, and um, we'll see if something can get finalised in the next week or two for that coaching position. How much does that role mean to Scott? You can see, obviously, how passionate he is coaching his his 36ers. How much does that mean to him, do you think, personally? Yeah, and I'm I'm one of his best mates and and catch up with him a lot, and... um, him, myself, a lot of the past players bleed for the club and would do anything to help. And he's one of those guys. He's a big believer in getting the culture right at the club um, and also just getting the team back on track and getting it successful. It's It's been a long time since we've had teams not only win a championship since 02, but just making finals and being competitive. And uh, like you kind of feel for Grant Kelly, who's, poured a lot of money into this team and effort and we haven't been able to get the finals and and win games and financially that makes a big difference as well uh, to the club. So I know he is very invested. He's brought Graham Cubank on board as his assistant who yep. he can trust and also um, not a lot of people know, but Graham, when he came on, he hasn't been paid. Um, like he said, he's just taken long service from his day-to-day job um, to, to help the club out. And uh, it, it's efforts like that that um, I think really go a long way to turning the club around and getting it back on track. And I think Scott's probably, well, not probably, I think he's definitely the, the pick moving forward for at least the next couple of years to try and turn it around and get them successful again. High character individuals that he's brought in as well, you know, that, that shows character. Yeah, here through the grapevine, that's very close to being done. It's well-deserved, right? So... Um... Yeah, I think so. I think where they were at mentally and playing-wise for him to turn them around and make them competitive and win that many games, I think I don't think there's many uh, people or coaches that would have been able to do that where the yep. team was at when he took over. And the priority's got to be... Of Brent, we talked about... I was going to say, we talked about imports earlier on and, you know, how some of them could be mercenaries and those sort of things. Adelaide always seems to be a team, to me, that is always changing their imports. Um, 
you know, you don't get a lot of those imports for the 36s that come back for, you know, one, two, three seasons in a row. Um, do you think that's something that might change or do you think it's just the nature of the way the game is these days that it's it's hard to retain some of this talent? Well, it is hard. Um, yeah, but Adelaide just hasn't been able to get, I, I guess, the right sort of person that, A, wants to stay and um, that we've been able to entice to stay. I guess money always plays a big part. Some people leave for money. Yeah. Some people leave for different playing experiences and different coaches and organisations and management or whatever. There's a lot of reasons, but yeah, that's one area that we've, over the years, haven't done the best job of. And I think that would be one of the key ingredients that we're, as a club, are, are trying to change, attract the right people. And I think getting DJ to sign for three years is a is a good start to have someone of his calibre and um, it'd be nice to lock away after this season, guys like Isaac Humphreys and, and that as well, and create that core that you can just continue to build around and build a successful organisation around. Um, I know Scott is very passionate about having um, South Australians in the team as well, which probably hasn't been a focus of the last three or four or five coaches that aren't South Australians. Um, so I would imagine that the kind of guys on the end of the bench and development players would all be South Australians um, if that's the case, if Scott's appointed. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was just about to say priority would be to get someone like Isaac Humphreys and even a Trey Kell to potentially come back, right, because things are working, you know. Uh, how that looks financially, it's, it's another question, but, you know, it would be yeah. great. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And yeah. it all comes, well, money talks, doesn't it? But yep. uh, I think, and it's interesting, with someone like Isaac, uh, having probably his best year ever, sure. yep. um, having the offense being run through him. Um, yeah, I mean, if you leave for a bit more money, is that going to happen in other clubs? You're not sure. If he stays, you know that that w would remain a constant, I would imagine, and it, yep. I would think that he would have a very good year again. Not only that, but people bagged him a, a couple of years ago about his body and getting hurt all the time. I think the last, not only this year, but the last couple of years, he's done a sensational job of... Yep. For sure. Keeping his body right. He, he didn't miss a game this year. And, um, yeah, I think he'd be, he'd be great um, to keep here in Adelaide. We'll see how that goes. For sure. I guess, finally, the Next Stars program has added a lot of, you know, a different dimension to this league. Liam's doing a great job um, building that up, and um, a lot of eyes have been on the NBL. Um, how do you think that program's going, and what kind of impact is it going to have uh, on the NBL going forward, in your opinion? Oh, I think that link between the NBA and Australia has been amazing. It's been fantastic for the game and a big reason why a lot of the venues are selling out. Like I, I'm bemused, or not bemused, I'm happy for the fact that I go to a 36ers game and they're second to bottom or bottom and we're selling out games and people are going away happy. The fans are loving the experience and, and what they're seeing at the moment and I think that NBA um, involvement is a big part of that. The Next Star program is a big part of that. And um, it's been, I think, a fairly successful platform so far, seeing some of the guys use that to get uh, into the NBA. Yep. And I'm really keen to see what happens with the guys that are going through that this year. I think, well, Saar in Perth is, uh, is clearly going to do very well. He's a very sure. special talent. Um, I saw Trenton just the other day and he looks like he's going to um, declare. He's going to go back and do workouts with a lot of the teams and 
He said he's been getting some really good feedback, even though he hasn't had a lot of court time probably in the back half of the year, but um, he's getting some really good feedback from people back there. And, yeah, he's he's a young kid. He's 18 years old and uh, learning the game still, And um, but is one of the most athletic people I've ever seen come out here as well, what he can do athletically, yep. which fits that NBA mould. They're after athletes. They're after guys that um, they can build into the sort of players that they want. Yep. And um, so hopefully he can get drafted and um, it'll help kind of this, this whole process with the next stars. Who's um who's winning the title this season? Oh, look, if you asked me probably a month ago, I would have said Melbourne, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of those top teams are limping in. Like you look yeah. at Perth's results over the last three, four weeks, um, like they don't fill me with a lot of confidence at the moment. I think – I actually think um, – Tassie are playing some really good bar and they had that bit of a lull probably a couple of months ago, but the last month they've been getting right back on track. And uh, I think personally, I think Scott Roth is the best coach in the league. Um, What he's done down there uh, and the culture he's created, I think he's done an amazing job. A couple of seasons ago, the privilege of uh, doing some courtside commentary, listening to a lot of the coaches via that and, uh, yeah, that didn't change. That probably only increased my opinion of him. The messages he was delivering in timeouts, etc. He's he's excellent. He'd be a fun coach to play play under. I would have thought someone like Scott Roth. He really he really sort of has his has his players' backs, doesn't he? You can certainly see that. Yeah, and they have his back. You, the that environment down there. You speak to some of the players that play under him, and they love him. The, the style he's created. He's he gives them all an opportunity and. They, they seem to flourish down there, which um, is a sign of a, a good coach and a good environment. And um, that's why I think they're going to be successful while he's down there. Um, and, and that's the sort of thing that we need to create here to get that environment where players want to come. I think yep. at the moment to get players to Adelaide, if I'm being harsh, we're probably overpaid for, to get players here in the last five or ten years because of some reasons. Um It'd be nice for players to be knocking on our door saying, oh, we desperately want to come because of the situation and setup that you've got there. Um, and I know the club doesn't want to overpay for players and they shouldn't overpay for players. Um, it, and it amuses me a little bit to look at what some players, like when you're from a different era and you look at what some players are getting paid now, it's it's a big eye-opener and, and good on them. Um, like They're getting paid very well, some of these guys now. Um, and that's due to this, the expansion of the league and the growth, which yep. I think uh, is fantastic and will continue to happen. Hopefully, I think Larry Kessem and what he's done has been yep. has uh, been amazing. Well, you've certainly paved the way for a lot of those players there, Brett. So, um, well, look, we really appreciate you coming on to join us today. I know Woody and I have both been really excited about this one. Um, certainly a player that we both, you know, really followed. I mean, I'm, I'm a Wildcats fan. Woody's a Sydney fan, but it, it didn't matter. You know, we love watching you in that number five for Adelaide and, you know, all those games for the Boomers there. So we might just do a quick outro then before we wrap it up. So um, just a reminder for people listening to the show, um, please make sure you like, rate and subscribe. Um, you can find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, social media we can be followed on x at throwback uh, throwbacks hoops on instagram throwback.hoops and our email address is throwback hoops 
podcast at gmail.com. Um, Brett, where can people find you? We mentioned some of those endeavors you've got there. Where can people sort of, you know, follow you? Have you got anything you want to, want to plug there at all? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, if they want to go to All World Tours, um, just check that out on the internet. Um, that'll have all of the information and um, they can contact me via that. If, if they're interested in going on tours to the States um, or to Europe, um, we do some stuff over there as well. So, yeah, check that out. And, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll see you at some 36 of finals games in the future. Good stuff. And what about you, Woods? Any final words? Oh, just it's been an honour, you know. Sure, Brett achieved a lot playing uh, playing in the NBL and for the Boomers and whatever, but he's a, he's a great man. And it's very nice of you to give up your time and be so kind. So we appreciate it beyond end. So thank you, Brett. It means a lot. No, no problem. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Thanks so much, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. Um, it's a big peace out from the Throwback Hoops crew. See you next week. Mm-hmm.